0: Okay, Um, I don't look like Wendy, all right. The last time I spoke to Wendy was half-past six, I try not to speak to her too often, Uh, half-past six tonight she was stuck at Taunton, her train was late. She's had to go to Southampton today for a conference through work and she worked it out that she could get back in time but British Rail have said otherwise so she doesn't know what time she'll actually get back that's good well it's not good she's late but it's I'm digging a hole I'm going to shut up okay okay, okay. I'm going to ask Laura if she'll pray I haven't told her what to pray for I'm going to ask Daryl. or she'll pray. Okay. okay. So, Lord, if you're... Amen. Amen. Okay. I, I want to deal with a topic tonight that many Christians struggle with big time. And it's a foundational topic. So if your foundation's not right, then you try to build on it, and you're going to grow up crooked, or fall over, or keep falling over. It's a, it's a well-known topic, but we don't know it, or we know dimensions of it. So we're going to we're going to have a look. Let's come to Ephesians chapter three to start with. I'm going to work you quite hard tonight, okay? Ephesians chapter 3. Hallelujah. Okay, Ephesians. It it. Every time I try to download the New King James, it switches off. Can't beat our Bible. Go to the NIV. Go to the NIV and work. Yeah, the NIV. Can't beat a, you can't beat a book. I, I gave my Kindle away. I can't stick the darn things. Flicking pages, and then they flick three pages instead of what? Oh, I give it away in the end. Wendy loves a kindle, but I don't. I can't Give me a book, a proper book. You know, you can turn the page and you can go back a page and there it is. Isn't it? Yeah, so there you go. Anyway, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to read some scripture. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. that which is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay? It's it's a contradiction in there right away. A contradiction in that last verse, verse 19, that you may know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's almost like a contradiction, isn't it? How can you know the love of God except you have knowledge of the love of God? But you can't. Because this love of God is not not found by knowledge. It's not a contradiction at all. The love of God is only found through the Holy Spirit. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can you can you can know knowledge wise and quote and talk about the love of God, but that's not the love of God. That's just earthly knowledge about something, a topic called love, the love of God. But so how 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 can we know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at the next verse, because we quote verse 20 willy-nilly, but its actual context is in the verses that I've just read. Now, to him who is was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly can give you that love the context of abundant that verse, verse there, verse 20 is all about knowing the love of God so only God can give you that knowledge the real love because he can do abundantly over and above any intellectual argument. The highest intellectual man in the world cannot lo- know the love of God until they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But that's God's business. He says, I- I'm able to do. But we use this. For- now, God is able to do abundantly in all kinds of areas. But have you ever looked at where that scripture came from? Because it's based in knowing the love of God. And no matter what situation you find yourself, he is able and, and willing and abundantly above all that we ask or think to be able to give you a good dose of his love in any situation. You keep... We must be careful where we quote scripture. It's not wrong to say to somebody, you know, my God can do abundantly above and all that. Of course he can, but it's not the context. The context is in Ephesians 3, that you might know the height, the length, the depth, the width because my God is able to make it known to you above anything you can even ask or think have you ever checked this out before we we bandy that scripture about very quickly but when you put it in its true context it's incredibly powerful incredibly powerful because it's got a, it's got another effect. Now, how many of you know that love's, God's love is three-dimensional? The love of God is three-dimensional. I take it the answer is no. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the extent of His love. His love is three-dimensional, this love. First of all, it's a love towards God himself. Secondly, it's a love towards your neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Thirdly, it's the love of God for loving yourself. Self. We talk an awful lot about love and having loving God and sometimes even loving our neighbor, but we forget to love ourselves. And when you forget that, you're building your Christianity on a wonky foundation. Book of Jews says, keep yourself in the love of God. You keep yourself. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to keep myself in his love. Now, the Holy Spirit enables me, empowers me, but I've got to do the running. I've got to do the coming after bit, okay? So the love of God is three-dimensional. Heavenward towards God horizontal towards our neighbor and backward towards ourself you love your neighbor as you love yourself okay now there's the challenge it's easier to love your neighbor than it is to love yourself i'm not talking about the conceited love the arrogant people all that who love themselves, who are always talking about themselves, who've always got an opinion on everything. No, everything under the sun. That's not that's not the love of God. That's just conceit and arrogance and which leads to rudeness. Puts people off, doesn't it? So we've got a three dimensional love and tonight we're gonna to, we're gonna look at it in one one dimension. One of those dimensions, but we'll get there as we move along now. We can't know the natural love of God with our intellect. You can hear about it, but you have to experience it. And you can't experience it without knowing Jesus. He's the door to God's love, obviously, okay? So come with me to Matthew, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13. Let's let's wander through this tonight, and we'll we'll have a look. Matthew chapter thirteen. This is um, Jesus speaking. Yeah, it's in red, but I got it in yellow. Most of my Bible now is in yellow. <laughs> Uh, okay, Matthew 13 verse 64. We'll work our way through this this love thing, and how it applies and what it means to us. Pardon? Matthew 13, yeah. 44. Sorry. <sighs> Bring back Wendy. Okay. You ready? Matthew thirteen, forty-four. Again the kingdom of heaven is like hid treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The man here is Jesus. Okay? The man here is Jesus. The field is the world, okay? The field is the world. The treasure are the people in the world. The treasure isn't the world. It's the people in the world, okay? So, discovering the treasure, he hides it and bought the whole field to own that treasure. Now, the church isn't revealed, well, it's hidden in the Old Testament. The revelation of the church didn't come into existence until the new covenant. But it is hidden. You can see pictures of it hidden in the Old Testament. It was hid away. The man had hid the treasure away in the Old Testament the church is like the treasure but the church is people okay people he didn't want the field he had to buy the field to get the treasure but he didn't want the field okay he had to buy the field to get obviously to get the treasure hidden in it the price was high he gives everything he has for the field, to buy the field. Why? Because there is treasure in the field. Okay? To treasure our people. He loves the treasure. Okay? He loves the treasure. It cost him everything he had, but he did it with joy, dying on the cross was the price he had to pay, all right? Why did he do that? Because he knew the value of the treasure. Now, tonight we're talking about loving yourself. So I'm going to put a foundation in of how much God loves you so that you can take that and turn it around and start to love yourself in a way that maybe you haven't for a long time or ever, because there is depth in love, okay? So, can you imagine the locals? This guy comes along, sees this field. The locals don't understand it. Scrappy old bit of ground, up for sale. The locals think he's nuts. He's paid how much for it? And you can imagine them sniggering in the background. Whoever owned the field was sniggering. We know who owned the field before Jesus came. Sniggering away. I own the field. But the price was incredibly high, obviously, to buy that field. Probably full of, well, it was. It was full of weeds and thorns. As a result of the fall, the Garden of Eden. And the fall, God put a curse on it. Weeds were come up. That's sin, isn't it? So he, was, he would have been ridiculed, looking at this story literally, he would have been ridiculed for buying a piece of worthless, what people thought was worthless ground that would produce nothing and paying extortionately for it my god got a plan in that field was treasure in the world there's treasure and you are that treasure the locals didn't know about the treasure i've said he would have never sowed the field he would never have allowed christ to go to the cross he didn't know the treasure that Christ was bearing and paying the price that the church might rise up after he paid the price for it. Wow. Hidden away. He knew, and yet Satan thought he was in charge. Hallelujah. The treasure then was God's people, you and me extravagant love isn't that the essence of John three sixteen? for God so loved the world the world there is not the globe it's people you could change that there for God so loved the people that he gave his only begotten son to redeem what does he get when he buys the field treasure You know the name of the treasure? Whosoever. This treasure was called Whosoever. Whosoever will may come. So whoever soever will is can come. What's he being called Whosoever? And surname will. Whosoever will came. You and me, we're that treasure that treasure. Who recovers the treasure? Who recovers it now? Jesus doesn't. He's given that job to you and me. It's our job to go in His name, and find whosoever will, wherever he may be and bring him into the kingdom in Jesus' name. It's our job to go out and find that treasure that's out there. It's out there, everywhere. He wants us to know the height, the length, the depth, and the width of his love. He wants us to know that. But like I said to you in the context of of that scripture in Ephesians, my God is able to do abundantly above I can ask or think. So he's going to bring me into situations whereby I can discover his treasure. I can see it in other people or witness to them and they get brought into the kingdom. same with you that's your purpose is to go and look for treasure in jesus name the holy spirit leads you doesn't he in that direction okay Well, let's let's that's nice that's that's a nice feel that's a nice feeling but jesus goes a little bit deeper because in the very next phrase that he uses, which is the next verse in our Bible, verse 45, he, he continues to talk. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, the parable of the field is, is whosoever Or us collectively. He loves us collectively when we find it, when he finds us, we become the church. But now he goes in a different dimension, slightly different tangent. The parable of the pearl is God saying, You individually are my pearl. You are my pearl. You are my pearl. We're not a string of pearls. We're individually God's pearl. Now, why, why am I saying that? Because I want you to get some value into your life. The world system evaluates you very quickly on how how clever you are or intellectual, how much money you got, how good you are at sport, how good-looking or not good-looking you are. It quickly evaluates you and puts you in a box, doesn't it? God says, I don't do that. I'm the only one who doesn't do that. I make you, we'll find out in a minute how he does that. You're my pearl, you individually. If you don't know that, well, yet yeah, perhaps, you know, I'm not saying anything new that you haven't probably heard before tonight already. But if you don't understand the depth of that, then you're not looking, as Ephesians says, that you might understand what is the height, the depth, the width of his love towards you. If you don't understand or think, give some time to think about, I'm God's pearl. So in God's eyes, I am priceless. I'm priceless. It doesn't matter what Fred down the road thinks about me. It doesn't matter what my boss thinks about me. Because they're going to have thoughts about me whether I'm good or bad at my job or indifferent. or they, Everybody has an opinion on somebody else. Isn't it? What matters is the one finally who has the final say. And he says, you're my pearl. You're priceless. I sold everything that you might come into my kingdom. Now we know this, we major on this in the evangelical church, that we are, we major, but sometimes we, because we major on it, we lose the impact of it. Ephesians says that we can know the depth of that the heights of it, the widths of it, the love of God. How much he loved us can be known by the Holy Spirit. Not totally, because that goes on into eternity. We will never fathom the total love of God. But we can have more than when we started out. What we end up doing is when we... we don't major or work this through into the foundation of our christian life is things in life kick in and now we start to evaluate ourselves by how well we're responding or not to any situation which is kicked into our life well i'm not very good i don't, this is kicked in and oh, I'm not fairly really good at this, am I? I'm not a very good Christian. I should be better than this. I've been saved 58 years and now I'm struggling. With, no, what kind of, no, no, rubbish. You're looking in the wrong direction and that's the ploy of the enemy. The enemy always wants to get you to look into the world. He's got to get you away from looking at Christ because when you look at Christ, you start to see his love towards you and that love is able to sustain you and keep you and take you through over that situation that's his power you know what God's power is mainly well power that's to heal and no 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 it is but it's the god's power is his love it's his love Love overcomes, read chapter 1 Corinthians 13. Love overcomes everything. It's powerful. It's God's power in manifestation. When you love your enemy, that is so powerful. But we don't, we put up with them. And then we don't. We, we know what we're doing when we do that when we're putting up with people but then we stop loving ourselves with the love of Christ so we are the ones who suffer not them we're the ones who dip out okay now Matthew 13:46 is the pearl the price is the same sold everything to buy the pearl. The man is the same. It's Jesus. Extravagant love. It's extravagant love. Some people say, no, that's not Jesus. That's we bought the pearl. No we didn't. No we didn't. We couldn't buy a pearl. We couldn't buy our way into the kingdom of God. It can't be us has to be Jesus. He's the only one that could pay the price to buy that treasure and to buy that pearl. So he loves us collectively but he also loves us equally individually. So that becomes one of the roots of my foundation in Christianity. The love of God. I feel that love. Sometimes I don't feel that love, but nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Wendy been on a train, or somebody's on a train somewhere now. Could be anywhere. Has my love for her changed because she's not here? No. Has my love her love towards me changed because she went to Southampton today? No. Nothing's changed in that department. The only thing that's changed is she's left Plymouth for a day. Nothing else has changed. It's the same with God. Nothing changes. His love does not change towards us. He loves me. And because he loves me, I can start to love myself. Okay, so, this pearl, I would imagine most of you know how a pearl is formed, a bit of grit gets inside that shell, and the the oyster, isn't it? Yeah, the oyster produces something to cover the grit, because the grit is irritating him. And that becomes a pearl. You and me are perfected through suffering. We're that pearl. It's through suffering. It's not on the mountaintop that God perfects us. It's what we go through that God perfects us. And makes us more like Jesus. Because what we go through is designed to throw us back onto Him again. He became sin for me. That I might become precious, that precious pearl. Okay? One of the gates, there were twelve gates to Jerusalem. And one of the gates was the Pearl Gate. Interesting. You go through suffering when you go through, and we will all go through suffering. That's Jesus predicted that. But he said, "Be a good cheer. I've <laughs> overcome the world." He looks at the pearl in his hand. And he looks at you. He's looking at you in the palm of his hand. I'll just use the figure figuratively. He looks at that pearl. And he says, everything that I went through was worth every moment. My pain, my suffering, and I see you. He said, worth every bit. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? The pearl. You and me. Do you ever think about that when you're struggling? Ever think about that when you're suffering. Now, so we don't discover something more to the width, the heights and the depths of his love. We evaluate our suffering according to past experiences. What God says is when you're going through something you just picture yourself. You're in my palm underneath of the everlasting arms. Your name is engraved engraved on my hand tattooed on his hands. Do you know that? And what was in his hands? The scar of the nails. You are my pearl. Wow. Now gives me hope. Pearls are beautiful, aren't they? I said to Wendy, oh, probably 10, 10, 15 years ago, I said, I'd love to buy you a string of pearls. She said, I hate the things. <laughs> oh, well, have a box of chocolates for your birthday then. I wanted to buy her a string of pearls for her birthday. No, I don't like pearls. No. no. Oh, that's okay. She got a box of chocolates. But they are beautiful. They they are be I mean there are degrees of pearls, obviously. But the real thing is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So how do we deal with loving ourselves? Because if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. You can play at it, but you can't love them. So while we don't love them, we try, still try to influence them. But it's the love of God which draws them. The goodness of God that draws them. So unless we really start to love ourselves, we can never be influential in fully reaching other people because they see through something of that pretense. You can't keep it up for very long. You drop your guard unless it truly is motivated by the love of God for them. And they see through it. And that's why they say there's more hypocrites in the church. Well, my answer is always the same to them. What's the best place they can be? Could can they be changed? So, four facts about His love for you. Okay, number one, number one. I won't tell you where I'm reading from, but I'll read it to you. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, "Yes." I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. With an everlasting love, I have drawn you. God's love is an old love. Not a worn out love. Not an outdated love. But it's... Old. It goes right back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was God that took the initiative. His grace, He clothed them, didn't He, to cover their sin. Blood was shed, an innocent animal was slain that their sin might be forgiven and they could stay in His presence. But that wasn't done just to forgive their sin. He did it because he loved them. When God created Adam and Eve, he fell, I'll use the word, fell in love with them. He was already in love with them, even before the foundation of the world. But he loved them. And he stepped into their mess that they had created. They had to pay a price for it. Not the love, they paid the price for making the mess. But his love was an old love. It goes right back to the beginning of time, as far as we're concerned. And that love will be endless into eternity. It will never stop. He will never stop loving you. Amazing, isn't it? But it's only amazing if you spend time thinking about it. The problem we have today is there's so much information readily available on the internet that you can listen to 800 sermons a day. I want to tell you, it won't do you a bit of good. Now, not a bit of good when you hear something you should take it away and re-digest it think about it do something with it not be entertained by it oh you should come to our church we've got an amazing preacher or oh, you should hear a bob on the, on the internet preach he's amazing and yet when you look at their lives there's no growth in them. They're still doing the same things they were doing. There's no change in them. They're still struggling in the same area. And that's not to make you feel guilty. No. It's not about hearing sermons or wonderful preachers. It's lovely when you hear a wonderful That's It's okay. When you hear a wonderful preacher. But if it doesn't enable you to go away and look at it for yourself then you won't grow in it you'll never find something more the width, the height and the depth of the love of God unless you go away and say hey I want more than what I've got more than what I understand number two it's everlasting. This love is everlasting. We project. Very well, and when I get to heaven, it will be so wonderful. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more. Sin. Yeah, of course there will be. Well, I'll p- project it all into that. Then I'll enjoy it. Then no, you're meant to enjoy it now. In spite of circumstances. You're meant to enjoy His love. You know that's one of the facets of love. Love should bring joy. I mean, when, you know, I first saw Wendy, this ginger-eared young lady, wow, I was quite impressed. At the time, I was going out with her best friend, so I had to <laughs> deal with that. I thought I could have both and find out which was the best. Wendy said, no, you're not going out with me until you sort this mess out. I just knew at that moment. You do, don't you? You do. You just know elements of love at times. And do you think it's amazing how, how God... I was thinking about this today. How God... Make circumstances happen. How did you happen to meet that person at that time in that place when you were going to do something else or you were on a mission to go and be somewhere else or, you know, as the shopping, or, and you happen, just happened to bump. It's amazing, isn't it? I, I i i used to think growing up like this is it used to, it troubled me a little bit you know you, you you go say we go on holiday, go away abroad or above the sand or wherever you go, and there's people on the beach you think I'm never going to see them again. What are they up to? If I thought that, or is it just me <laughs> yeah? You know, you, you walk down through town, and you don't stop to talk. But there's people passing you by, and you think, oh, "I may never see that person again. Who are they? What are they? You know, do they disappear? Because I'm living my life. I got my world around me. So, they, they, do they come in one door and go out the next and just disappear? No, they're living their lives, aren't they? It's—it's all. It's, oh, you can't get your head around it, can you? In this country, I mean, there were 70 million people, 60, 70 million people, something like that. And they're all doing their own thing at this moment of time, and yet God chose you. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. What did he see in you? I don't know. What did he see in me? I don't know. But I know he chose me, he called me because his love is everlasting number three it's before times he arranged the course of our lives so we would encounter him and his love it's amazing you meet your partner but it's more amazing that God meets you absolutely amazing isn't it how he broke into our, well, he found us, we didn't find him. Absolutely amazing. Number four, and I'll read you a scripture. I quite like this one. A seal, S-E-A-L, not the seal in the sea. A seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. comes from the Song of Solomon. Love is as strong as death. Wow. In other words, love is irresistible. True, God's love I'm talking about here. To whom he calls is actually irresistible we think there's a choice made here he chose us we know that but we think that we chose him no we didn't his love was so strong so beautiful it was and we didn't maybe you did but oh, I don't know if I work this one out but I had to respond. I just had to respond at that moment of time when I got saved. I had to respond. It was, I realize now, it was irresistible. I had a choice, but I didn't have a choice. Because he drew me with bonds of love. It's irresistible. Now, it says in the Song of Solomon there, that love is as strong as death. Mm. Is death irresistible? No. No, it's not. When death comes, nobody can turn it away. Nobody can say, well, wait, it's not convenient today. I'll probably do it tomorrow, I'll come back tomorrow. No, death is, a su- you, you can't resist it. You can't resist it. I won't accept you today. No, no. Now, there's a time to be born and a time to die. We need to change our terminology on the time to die. God didn't take you. That was your time. And the Bible says we don't grieve like the unsaved grieve. We grieve, but we don't grieve like the unsaved grieve who have no hope. Okay? It's natural, unnatural and natural to die. You can't, when it comes, it comes. Unless God steps in, okay? John's time, when death tried to take him, wasn't his time. It wasn't his moment. He had days left. Still running his race. You can't go until God says it's the end of your, he doesn't take you, it's our terminology which is wrong. We've run our race. You can't live a moment longer than that finishing tape. We'd like to, and yet we talk about going to heaven is wonderful no pain, no sickness, everything else, but nobody wants to go there. It's perverse, isn't it? We talk about heaven, but you talk to a Christian, nobody wants to go there. I understand that. <laughs> you know, I understand a little bit of that. But the order I get, actually, I understand now. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. My dad did. He, t- he couldn't. Well, he could have talked to him before he died. He was. He was happy. He was looking forward to it. Run my race, boy. You said. I feel I like run my race. Nothing here for me anymore. Glad to go home. You talk to Terry. You talk to Terry. And for all Terry's fooling around and and he's a lovely guy and, and, you know, laughter and bantering with him, will you really talk to him? He's happy to go home. He wants to go home. But he hasn't finished his race. If we talk about, well, God took them, then there's mysticism built in that. Well, why did God take them? And many Christians don't have the answer. The answer is they ran their race. What I get upset about is the method in which brings that about. That's not sometimes very nice. But I know in that even God's grace is greater than the sickness for that person. And we will grieve. So... no natural person has the power to resist death that's why love is as powerful as death but death is the last enemy that Jesus will destroy he hasn't destroyed it yet when we do go when we finish our race we go straight to be with the lord that's not a problem but death, finally, when, he, when this earth is rolled up, will be done away with. For everybody, the saved and the unsaved, they will not just die. They will be in eternity, but not with God. They'll be in hell. Alive in hell. Now, now, in the scripture it says that love is as strong as death, but that's the Old Testament. What does the New Covenant say? The New Covenant says that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death. So death, love is not as strong as death. The power of death has been defeated. Not death itself, but the power. The fear of death also has been defeated for those who know and come after knowing the love of God. Fear of death, it's based in not understanding or experiencing the love of God. When you know in your heart and we're living in that place of understanding his love, you don't have a fear of death. Death is the doorway to his presence. I'll just, I'm alive in here, it's like walking through that door straight into his presence. Where's the fear in that? Whatever. The most irresistible negative force in the universe was conquered by the most positive force in the universe, the love of God. The love of God overcame death. Everything that we experience in our Christian life should come back to that root foundation. The love of God. Why am I thinking like this when God loves me? Why am I reacting that way negatively when God loves me? Because I'm not feeling that love at that moment? Possibly. I have taught from my own experience. I know when I at times when I don't feel the love of God, it's usually because I've turned away somewhere. My focus has become on something else. And it can be anything. It could be football. It could be. I spend all I don't spend all evening watching soaps on telly. It's very subtle how we get drawn away. What, what about my family? I've got all this family trouble and all this in my, all the, and, and, and all these problems. and you know. Yes, you have, but turn your attention back onto the one who loves you. Because love, the love of God, is God's power. And when I know in my heart he loves me, I'm going to start loving myself in a way in which maybe I've never done before. My failings do not stop the love of God. They actually qualify me for more love. You know that, don't you? Your failings qualify you for more grace. Grace is the manifestation of the love of God. Grace and love flow together. Because he loves us, he graces us. Grace is a power word. So when we're struggling, he gives us the power to overcome. Why? Because he loves us. God is God is love. That's just one of his titles, isn't it? He's motivated totally by love. So how can we get angry at him when something doesn't pan out how we think it ought to pan out? But we do. Well, we dress it up a bit. The longer we've been Christians, we camouflage it. But we get angry at God. But he's motivated by love. But what we don't understand is his plan, his purpose, how he's, as Terry would say, working behind the scenes, more active than you will ever know, and I will ever know, because he's saying, through suffering, I'm turning you into a pearl, and you're going to meet someone or someones further down the road, and I'm... In my name, you're going to be influential and in bringing them into the kingdom. Wow. Paul said, "Everything is rubbish for the knowledge of God. Everything. Well, all my experience, and yeah, yeah, more suffering experiences than we will ever have. You know, beaten, flogged, could hardly walk because his feet were beaten by rods." You had to get uh, Luke at one stage to go with him, Dr. Luke, and apply medicine to him. And and yet he said, it's nothing. It's nothing that I might know him, that I might love him and feel his love towards me. Don't equate love, his love, by what you go through or how much you go through. Don't equate it. It's not right. If you think that's right, then the whole of the, most of the New Testament apostles blew it. They got it wrong. They all, majority of them all, were martyred. I think there's only one, two that didn't face being martyred. Wow. Why? Because I don't worry about it, they said. It's nothing. If that's the route I have to go, that's the route I'll go, because I love him and he loves me. It's a a different way. Nobody can touch you. You know that, don't you? No, you don't. Nobody can touch you. They'll have a good go unless you submit to them. But nobody can touch you other than God. But it depends who you submit to. Well, they said this to me. You wouldn't believe what they said to me you wouldn't believe what they said to Jesus because half of it's not even in the Bible. And what did he do? Just love them. I tell you, this love is powerful. This love is powerful. This extravagant love is irresistible to those he calls. It accepts no barriers. Nothing can stop his love towards you nothing it can go over anything and go through anything and go around anything but it will achieve what he sends it to achieve so just hold your hand out like that right now in your hand is a pearl that's you look at yourself just picture it, a pearl in your hand. That's you. That's you. As far as God's concerned. That's how he sees you. It's not very often how we see ourselves. Oh, we're horrible people sometimes. Failed over there and failed over. God says, You're my pearl. You're my pearl. You're my pearl. You're precious. And the Bible says, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. Nobody. Say to yourself, his love for me is individual. It's an individual love. He loves that pearl that represents me individually. I'm precious. It's an everlasting love that will never go away, never diminish, but will always increase. It will always increase, but it will never diminish. Because as I walk this life I can discover his love every more of his love every single day of my Christian walk it's, you cannot fathom the love of God it is beyond it but he says I am able to do abundantly more than you can even ask or think so I can supply my love when you think you've come to an end of it or you think that you understand it I can go beyond that even what you ask or think my love is so deep for you you little pearl and I'm not going to string you along You're mine. You're mine. The key to it is you've got to start to love yourself. You've got to start to love yourself and cast down all the failings bring everything to the knowledge of God the word says so what is going on up here is you've got to cast it down that's your responsibility Jesus says walk in the love of God walk in it but I don't like myself some days God loves you. Start to love yourself. As you start to love yourself, you're going to experience more of the love of God. That's a byproduct. The two go together. You can't understand and experience more of the love of God unless you start to love yourself because you're creating a barrier to his love for you. You're saying, God, you can't. But God says, I can do abundantly above what you even ask or think. He rescued me when I was shipwrecked. When I was really angry at him, I shared a little bit of it Sunday morning. When I was shipwrecked, when I thought, God, it should not have happened this way. You even sent gifted men, preachers, gifted ministers, to minister to my son. And yet he died. It should not have happened this way. And then God broke into me. Because I was building a barrier against him. But his love was irresistible and he broke through my barrier and I discovered that through that experience, a pearl was formed through pain and hardship and tears and everything else. God says, you're going to come through this, my son, but you're going to come out of it very different." We would have been of no use, Wendy and I, to David and Vicky, with Harry, unless we had gone through same sickness, identical sickness in Harry. Would I have, looking back, would I have I changed my experience now? No, I wouldn't. No, I know in hindsight. It's always easy to look back at but what I know now I didn't know then but what I found then was the love of God so deep that it kept me when I couldn't keep myself but I had to walk in his love I had to start to look I was starting to blame myself and many well I didn't pray hard enough I didn't read the word long enough God said this and God was saying that and I didn't believe it enough. I I couldn't, you know, I didn't pray in the right way. I came up with 101 reasons. But God had to turn my attention back to him. And his love drew me again. And healed my broken heart. Absolutely. And I had to learn to... Love myself, but not in a conceited way. You know what I mean, don't you? Not in a boastful way. I boast in Christ. My boasting is in Him, not in me. And there's nothing in me. I couldn't do it. Most of the time back then, I didn't even want to do it. Loving yourself is the key, or a key to experiencing more of his love because you can't love yourself unless you're getting that love from its true source Jesus Christ it has to come from him that love to even love yourself there's no other way no other way or else we just start looking at our fears and our failings and We feel empty and lost and confused and angry and bitter and all the rest of it, all the negatives come flooding in. It's not what God wants. It's not what He wants. I think tonight it would be good if we just started to pray. We started to pray. We can pray for you if you want that tonight. We'd love to do that. But I think we need to be asking tonight as well. And saying thank you. One saying thank you for his love, but asking for more. Asking for more. God, I need more. I want more. I want more. Not more of your power, more of your love. If I get more of your love, power follows through. Father, in Jesus' name, we can't do anything unless we do it through love. Your love for us and our love for you. And our love for other people as well and our love for ourselves the love of what you are doing in us changing us to be what you want us to be, that pearl Father tonight will you, by your Holy Spirit will you open our hearts to challenge ourselves to challenge ourselves on how much of your love we truly experience and want.